0: I'm Anna Tonk. Welcome to How to Be Human, a podcast that explores the common and often confusing themes of humanness. Hello, we all meet again. I'm trying. This is take two because I'm at my mom's house and her internet is notoriously unstable. Much like my mindset, JK, JK. So where have I been? What's been up? I... Talked about having surgery, but I didn't really, I didn't say what surgery I had. And that was kind of on purpose, I guess. Mostly I think it's really tempting with a podcast or anywhere where you can like talk to people to sort of process out loud and process in real time. And I didn't really want to do that. I felt really clear about what I was doing. I felt really clear about the surgery I had. I just was like I wanted to keep a really pristine mental space. So that's part of why I hadn't discussed it until now. But now that I'm almost a week out and it has happened, I feel like talking about it with y'all. So what surgery to have? What did I do? About a week ago, I had weight loss surgery. I had what is called a vertical gastric sleeve or a gastrectomy. The average stomach is the size of a football, and I reduced mine to the size of a banana. And I didn't come to this decision lightly, and I would say it's almost been about 42 years in the making, JK, JK, but it's probably been 20 years in the making. I've considered it before and thought, no, the first time I really considered weight loss surgery, I wasn't far enough out from cancer treatment and hadn't been you know, cancer-free for long enough, they recommend you're at least five years out. But when I went in for surgery, or when I went in for my consultation for surgery, I was at the highest weight I've ever been as an adult. And I mean, that's not the coolest, but that was kind of neither here nor there for me in a way, as weird as that sounds. It's never been about the weight, you know? It's for me always been about like, life's just harder. I started to feel in the past few years, like my ability to bolster myself against the way society treats you and just the way it's harder, like I was getting worn out. I was getting tired. It was getting harder. Emily McCombs has a great piece in Buzz, I think it was BuzzFeed. She gained, I think, 70, 80 pounds during the pandemic and wrote this really great essay about it and said she's like no problem with her body or being fat. She has problems with the way that society treats her. And I really align with that. And It also, for me, I got worn out that it felt like sort of like a boundaries consent thing. I got so tired of people like giving me unsolicited dieting advice or making assumptions or the things they would project. I mean, it's just like it's really cuckoo bananas. Like just because you have extra weight on your body doesn't mean that it's a free-for-all. I just don't understand why in American society, like that's the direction we take it. Like, oh, you're fat? That means I can say and do anything I want to you. I mean, it's not quite as literal as that, but it's like not as far away as one might think. So what really sort of brought things to a head, and I share this just because I've felt really lonely I would say the majority of my life being one of the bigger people in the room almost at all times, you know? So I share this to anyone else who might be feeling that way. And I share this if you have that friend, be a good friend to your fat friend. You know what? Make a fat friend if you don't have one. So I guess about two years ago, I was like, I think between the pandemic and I felt really reclusive, you know, like I started to feel a bit like I didn't want to see people or I just was like, oh, my God, I'm going to be like so much bigger, you know, which that's been like a lifelong drama of like, oh, my God, how big was I the last time? How small am I this, you know? I kind of gotten off that merry-go-round and then had rejoined it um, post-pandemic, which was a cool surprise. I didn't, I didn't know that that would resurface. I should have thought about that, but also too, no time like the pandemic to really like once again, realize how much people hate fat people, you know, like it just came up again and again, you know, of people being like, oh my God, I've gained so much weight in quarantine. I'm disgusting. And it's just like, Can all of you who have normal weights and average bodies shut the fuck up with that stuff? Can you? It really sucks. I can't tell you. And I tell you what, anyone who battles their weight is hearing you. It's inherently fat phobic. Just get with it. Let's evolve, you know? I'm going to be a little feisty on this one, I think. Anyway, so I guess now two, three years ago, I realized I was becoming a little bit reclusive, agoraphobic, if you will, of just like between it feeling weird to emerge and feeling very large as I emerged that I had started to hear about semaglutide, which is the the drug that is in Ozempic and its weight loss, you know, possibilities. And I was interested So I went to the doctor and lo and behold, not only did I get ozempic or maybe I didn't get ozempic at that time. No, I got metformin. Anyway, I started the process of getting diagnosed as diabetic. Surprise, surprise, I'm diabetic. So I had to deal with that. And I'll be honest, like the first year of my diagnosis as diabetic, I basically went into denial. I didn't know what to, I just didn't really know what to make of it. I was still producing insulin. So I was like, well, my reference for diabetes is you need insulin and your body doesn't process sugar and it's your pancreas. I don't, I don't really get it. I know you can get glaucoma and I know you can have amputations. Again, I don't really get it. And I started to learn more about it and learn that it's a vascular disease and it's and it's systemic. And I started to have things like diabetic fatigue and like all these different things because I was having a hard time getting my blood sugar under control. So I started metformin and for a little bit I felt good And then if anybody has been on metformin, they know it can turn on you and, or even from the, the, the jump, it has like horrific side effects. You just feel like total whole, like human garbage. And so I was on it for, let's see, I started it in July and then by December. So let's say roughly, you know, like six months, five, six months, and it turned on me and I was having... (laughs) just catastrophic gastric events, you know, where it was just like, no, 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 no. Uh, this is not doable. So I thought, well, I'm diabetic now. I got to take that more seriously. Let me go to an endocrinologist, went to a highly recommended endocrinologist, got on an Ozempic, and then like my whole life went down in flames. That's not totally true. I mean, and something y'all should know about me is I like to exaggerate. That's not totally true, but it's not far off. I felt horrible. And also the like fat phobia you or anti-fat behavior you encounter on Ozempic where I was eating roughly some days I doubt I was even getting 500 calories in and I wasn't losing weight. And my endocrinologist is just like being kind of shitty and like, well, you know, the Ozempic's not, it's not a thermogenic, like it's not going to like burn your fat. And I'm like, I'm aware, but like, shouldn't I be losing weight if I'm only eating 500 calories? And at that point I probably wasn't losing weight because my metabolism was just crawling. So I had no energy. I was nauseated about mm, 100% of the time. I would have these like power puking episodes that were really cool and very good for my self-esteem. I had one at Gov Ball with my dear friend Melissa <laughs> where I was like, I'll be back in a second. I got to go power puke into that trash can. <laughs> oh my God. When you say it out loud, you're like, wow, you were insane. Why did you do that? But The way I've described it to people is like, when you're fat and you don't really know why, like I don't sit around and eat pizzas all day. I don't eat a lot of shit. You know, I move my body. I eat relatively well, like whole nutritious food. And to be honest, I don't even like have to do that. You know what I mean? I don't know. And at this point I've netted out where I think it's two part. I think people who are, let's say, chronically fat are, It's like a mixture between a hormonal and metabolic disorder. I think I produce too much of some hormones. I don't think I produce enough of others. And I don't think my body metabolizes food the correct way. So that means it just, it stores it. And it's been like this pretty much my whole life, to be honest. And I have all these other things that like when I would go to these doctors and just be like, I don't know why. I don't know why the limit does not exist in terms of how much weight I can gain they would be like, yeah, you're classic, you're classic. But they like couldn't tell me what I was classic. Like I'm classic fatty. Like what What? what am I classic of? It was just really bizarre because like I've had my gallbladder out. I started my period young, like all these different things. They're like, yep, yep, yeah. We see this over and over and over again. It's like, okay. And you never thought to like examine that or go further. And I don't mean these particular doctors, but I mean, I don't know, I guess the medical industry. I don't know. I guess there isn't profit in resolving it. The diet industry is one of the most profitable in the world and predicated upon our failure. Lots of soapboxes I'm going to stand on in this episode. I apologize in advance, but this is something I feel really strongly about. And it's something I feel very much that I have, I guess, a certain level of expertise. I don't think that people who struggle with their weight corner the market on having a difficult relationship with their body. I think everybody does. And I think everybody deserves agency. And I think everybody deserves respect, you know. However, I don't think that's what we do to anyone who seems to have any visible excess weight on them. I think we take that from them. And I think we do a lot of crazy stuff. Like it's been a really interesting process. So I went on Ozempic. I got really, really, really sick and had a really hard time. And then I just was like, I can't live this way. Like I'd rather just be fat. Like I don't, I gotta figure something out. So went off the Ozempic, kind of detox. It took a couple months for my body to sort of level out from that. And and then I started researching what are more permanent solutions? Is there a permanent solution or is there a more long-term solution to diabetes? And then I found, unfortunately, slash fortunately, what has the highest rate of diabetic remission is weight loss surgery. And I was like, well, 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 we meet again, you stupid fucking surgery. And... I started investigating it and I went to NYU and I was really impressed. And before you can even get a consultation with them, you have to attend a seminar. You have to take a quiz to like say you understood the seminar. And I was impressed by that. I didn't feel any form of pressuring. I didn't feel, if anything, I felt like they wanted me to be really, really clear. About my decision, feel really good about what surgery I chose. So I was watching the seminar, and the doctor that opens up the video, he's, you know, like taking you through this tour of weight loss surgery. And he's like, You might have noticed, like, I don't sound like other doctors. I'm Aussie. But another reason I'm not like others is like, I've had the surgery. And I was like, What a brilliant reveal. And I did appreciate, like, they have a really comprehensive approach. And if you do surgery with them, you're sort of under their care for a year. And you have a lot of resources. And they're really, really, really dedicated to your success. And they also really explain a lot of different things that what sounds sort of punitive or crazy leading up to it, like you may have heard if people do weight loss surgery, they have to do a pre-op diet. And it's a liquid diet. And I did it for three weeks. And let me tell you, it is not a party, but it wasn't that bad. I know. I can't believe I'm saying it. I can't believe I'm saying it on a microphone recorded that will live in perpetuity. But it wasn't that bad. You are on a thousand calories and it was really, really illuminating. And I started to also feel really mentally clear. And I mentioned it to my therapist. I was like, I feel really strangely mentally clear. You know, I already felt really clear about this decision. You know, I was working really hard to keep like my mental state pristine, you know, like leading up to this because I just really felt like I needed to. And she was like, it's the deprivation. (laughs) I was like, oh, really? She's like, yeah, it engages your endocannabinoid system and calms all the, like, all the noise, both internally and externally. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, no wonder all these religions have elements of fasting and things. But what was illuminating is like day one was really fucking rough, you know, like day one was really hard. I hadn't really gotten it right as to like how many shakes to get in, you know. So the deal is with the pre-op diet, you're on a thousand calories, No more than I think 35 grams of fat and it's super low carb. And the idea is not because they want you to like, it's not shredding before the wedding. Like it's not just a, it's not just a crash diet. It is to encourage your body to burn the fat around your liver to make your surgery easier because the liver and the stomach are really close together. So by shrinking the liver, they can, They can get you at your stomach easier, you will heal better, and you will get a better result. And it's also just healthier for you. Fatty livers is no good, and visceral fat, the fat that is within your torso, is also some of the more unhealthy fat. So I didn't really give a shit about this stuff until recently, and it really did start to hit home to me that, like, my dad died of a heart attack at 50, And like, I think I was being a little delulu thinking I wasn't heading in that direction, you know? And I do believe in health at any size, but it also felt increasingly undeniable that I was not healthy, you know? So on the pre-op diet, I also was shocked at how good I felt! Like my a lot of inflammation cl- calmed down in my body. My energy wasn't too bad, you know. I had have, have my beloved Gary. And we kept up with his walking schedule. I had been getting to like 8,000, 10,000 steps a day, kind of getting prepared. And then once I went on the liquid diet, I went down to about eight 8,000, you know, like it would be rare, it would hit 10, but I saw some dip in my energy and I would, in my energy at night as well would be like my battery just like fully went out. And in a twist of fate as well, I happened to meet someone when right before I went for my consultation, who literally had surgery with the surgeon I was meeting. And I was like, oh my God. And then that just really felt like a, a, like a confirmation and sign for me. And that woman ended up also being a huge, huge source of support. And one night when I was like really spiraling out, she put it to me great and said, think of the pre-op diet as you know really really the way to prepare for the surgery and to prepare for your recovery and that really resonated with me because I who who wants a rough recovery you know so I did three weeks of the pre-op diet I had to have an endoscopy as well um was it no problem fasting for that because I was already on so little? That was no big deal. I don't mind having surgery. I don't mind having medical stuff because they give you good drugs. I don't know what that says about me, but it's true. Just telling you all my truth. And so I had the endoscopy about a week before and they check out your stomach and they make sure there's nothing wrong. They make sure you don't, there's no, you know, they do some biopsies. They make sure you don't have any, you don't have H. pylori, like you don't have any infections or anything. And they do it to get a baseline of where we're starting, you know, because... There is a slight risk of when you have weight loss surgery that you become at risk for a form of stomach cancer. It's really rare, but they do the endoscopy to get a reading on where we're beginning so that they can monitor. You have to have an endoscopy every year following, you know, just to, to make sure nothing's happening. So did that. No biggie. All all good. And then a week later, last Friday, I went in for the surgery and I woke up and I had, honestly, the worst part is the gas. They pump you with gas because it's laparoscopy or done lap- lapar, yeah, we'll go laparoscopy. <laughs> and in a robot, which I think is cool. And so you're pumped with gas and that gas is really uncomfortable. But like, it you, man. They're like, they're giving you the stuff. They're... So I had surgery at noon, you know. I went in at I think 9 45 and then I literally went into the OR around noon and I was up and walking at midnight, you know, to go make a pee-pee, you know. So and I'm sore. It's been an adjustment. You can't lift anything over 10 pounds. My family has fucking knocked it out of the park. I wanna go on the record. My mom has been unreal good so supportive um my brother kept Gary for me and because you know when i went to the hospital you can't bring like valuables and stuff so like he took it cuz i'm i'm on a hardcore liquid diet for 3 weeks post and i was like oh, so, you know, that's six weeks of that shit. I was like, mom, can I please just stay out in your house in the country and isolate and recover? And she was like, of course. And so, and my mom likes her space and she likes her independence. And so I, um, I'm just so grateful. I really, really am. It's, (laughs) It's just, you know, it really helped me think, that this was the time because I don't know, like there's been lots of things I've done that my family, like, you know, (laughs) wasn't the best. And yet the full showing up and most of my friends, to be honest, like that's been a weird journey as well. Like, you know, whenever body stuff, weight stuff gets kicked up, everybody's stuff does, but I've mostly just been really overwhelmed by how supportive and just great. Everybody's been so, Oh, let's see. Oh, in the pre-op diet as well. Even though it's liquid, you get two cups of vegetables (laughs) a day. But you don't even get the fun ones, yo. You don't get corn. You don't get potatoes. You don't get any of that, which is fine. Whatever. I found fun with it. Shout out to Kettle and Fire and their broth. And to Lily Feeds You, whose discount code made buying bone broth a lot easier. So... I was in the hospital for a night. I got, I had the surgery done on Friday. I got out around noon on Saturday. You have to do this test where you drink, you drink an ounce every 15 minutes to get four ounces down in an hour. And you do that four times. Cause they want to make sure my, my pouch, my, my banana is supposedly four ounces. I'm having an easy time getting stuff down. So I'm skeptical, (laughs) but I also just think I'm lucky. The only real bummer has been, (laughs) I wouldn't say it's a bummer. So the only thing, you know, people have a hard time. People struggle with nausea. People throw up. People have a lot of pain. I really didn't have that. I had some pain and sensitivity at my incision sites. I have one, you have one incision that's larger because it's where the robot goes in and it's where your stomach comes out that has a stitch into my abdominal muscles. So that one's just a little bit more tender. But literally, I'm almost a week out and now they they don't really hurt, but they're they're itchy because are healing. You don't have to fool with them. You know, like you, you, you're able to take your first kind of dressings off in three days. You can shower immediately when you get home. And now I'm just kind of waiting for the Sarah strips to fall off naturally. So you can't take a bath or, you know, go into a pool ocean. You can't swim, you know, anything because, you know, they just have a ton of bacteria, unfortunately, which is such a bummer because my mom has a pool. And I'm just like, how are you going to let me be in this like place for three weeks and I can't get in this pool? But whatever, whatever, whatever. If anyone's curious, I ended up losing roughly 22 pounds on the the pre-op diet. So that's 22 pounds in three weeks. It's a lot. But it also was encouraging because it's like if you're going to go through all this bullshit, then it better be worth it. Right. You know, and also to my blood sugar. They told me I could go into diabetic remission within days. After the surgery, which I was like, I don't even know how to wrap my mind around that. But sure enough, my last blood glucose result before I left the hospital was within 17 points of normal. I haven't been that close to the normal range in three years. And I previously was having blood glu- glucose results that were in the 300s. So to be close to 100 within like 24 hours is uh, un-fucking-real to me. So I left the hospital on Saturday, was on liquids, had no real diet, uh, I mean, no real appetite for like a couple days. That was kind of my fear of like I have this like Special tum, you know, I have to be really cautious about it. And the big thing and why you don't eat post surgery again, it's not to punish you, it's not for weight loss goals, it's to let the seam of your new stomach heal. It's because your new belly needs to heal. And that was confusing to me. And what they're trying to avoid is the weight of anything hanging out in your stomach, stressing that seam. So you might have heard things called like leaking. Leaking is caused when someone eats something, it tears the new stomach and tears the new pouch. And then you get like almost like a form of septicemia. And then, which (laughs) I want no part of that, you know? And when I would ask them like, is there anything you think like, what's the most important thing you think anyone doing this needs to know? Everybody was like, do not eat post-surgery. Follow the guidelines. I was like, wow, it's pretty unanimous. So that's why you're sipping things. That's why, you know, clear liquids. And then three days after post-op, you, move, you can move to protein shakes and things like that. And it took, I mean, really today's Thursday, yesterday was Wednesday. um, Wednesday was the first day I was truly like hungry and had to stay on top of my hunger. And I've never really drank protein shakes before now. I just always was like, I'm not enough of an athlete. Like I don't need it, you know? I feel like if I was going to join a cult, it'd be the cult of protein because I just am like so impressed with what it can do now. If I stick to drinking shakes and I pace myself and, and really prioritize getting the shakes versus just like broth or, or herbal tea or, th- you know, like that's sort of what the trick is. You have to balance your protein intake with your, your water. But overall, so far, I have no regrets. I feel pretty good. If anybody has curiosity about it, I'm happy to answer your questions. I did mine at NYU Langone. I saw Dr. Schwack and I feel like this has given me confidence. This has given me, it's deepened my relationship with my body. I feel like it's allowed me to reset my relationship with my body and connect to it in a different way. And I'm just grateful, grateful, grateful. So if you have questions, let me know. Um, that's what I'm in up to. Bye. That's all for today. If you're interested in submitting a topic, please go to anatonk.com and hit the contact button. Or you can email me at anatonk at gmail.com. If you're a fan of the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. It really does help.